Hey, what's up, guys? How's everybody doing? Good to see you. Let me get some noise in the house. Pensacola, let me hear you. Gulf Breeze, let me hear you. Navarre, let me hear you. Online, let me hear you. From your car, from your computer, scream out wherever you are. You're in the library, like go hard. Like just go scream, bring the energy. What's up, guys? I'm so excited to be here, be in the house and bringing this message to you. And we are right in the middle of our series, TGIS. And uh, it's, been, it's been a blast. I hope you guys have had as much fun as we've had um, creating this and getting it out there and you know, reliving the pinnacle, right? Which was, I believe, the 90s. We peaked as a civilization, like we said last week. Like Architecture never was better than the 90s. The mall has never been better than the 90s. M- movies have not been better. Music has not been better. Like It's just we peaked as a civilization. And so if you like miss the 90s, you're born like 2000 or, or, or later, I'm sorry, you missed it, you wouldn't understand, it's a total vibe. And, um, and this week, what's the show? Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And so that was always a fun show, watching that. And uh, man, it was such a, such a cool show. We used to watch it all the time. And um, now what's crazy is these shows that were like, Big when I was growing up, now are like the shows that were on Nick at Night now, and um, and so like when I was growing up, Nick at Night was like the older shows, and now it's it's shifted, and those shows those shows are now. So I'm still processing that and and getting used to that. But um, I'm been it's been amazing. Week one we talked about Full House and how God wants a full house. Last week, we, um, the show last week was Family Matters, and what's cool is every single campus had a different experience. So, Navarre, your message for Family Matters was different than Gulf Breeze, which was different than Pensacola, which was different than online. And so it was a real, if you grew up like reading the, Goose, the Goosebumps books or the R.L. Stein books, I always had the choose your own adventure kind of moments. And uh, so that, that was last week. And um, this week I'm so excited and, you know, I'm really excited because we're going to be talking about something that has the ability to change and alter your future. Isn't that cool? So even if you're here and you're like not a Jesus follower and someone just invited you to come sit with them, hey, come grab brunch with me afterwards. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're tuning in. Maybe somebody sent you the link online to check it out. But what we're going to talk about today has the ability to literally alter and change your future. Isn't that crazy? Pretty cool. And it actually comes from someone who might be considered a prince. He was a prophet. And he actually, he was, he like studied underneath another prophet. And you've heard of these two guys and you've heard of Elijah, the prophet and Elisha, the prophet. And we're going to look at these stories and, and their story has a lot to do with what God is doing and wants to do in your life in 2022. It's pretty amazing. We can look back and we can see what God did then And we can get excited and have hope for what God is doing today. And so I'm so excited because we're going to look at their story. And their story comes from the Old Testament in the Bible, which a lot of people call the the, the historical books. And it comes from what you and I know in our Bible as 1st and 2nd Kings and it's actually just, it's just one book <laughs> when it was written. And they, they split it up to kind of make it more digestible. But it was really one story. And it was the story of all of the kings of Israel, 
right? Because God promised Abraham, remember, you're going to be a father of many nations. We've all heard Father Abraham and many sons. And he says, man, you're going to be a father of many nations. And out of the line of David, right? Everyone knows who David is, right? Killed the giant. Out of the line of David will come Jesus eventually. That's the messianic king. And so what you see in the book of Kings is literally the lineage and the kings, one after another, and you have David, which the, the story of Samuel comes right before Kings, and you have David ends that story. And, and David, we can all agree, was a man after God's own heart, right? Like he obeyed the covenant. He led his people well. And then he has a son named Solomon. And Solomon's story kicks off Kings. And it kicks it off in a really big way. And what's crazy is it actually starts off really well with Solomon, in fact, Solomon asked God for wisdom to lead. He says, God, give me wisdom to lead your people as king. And God gives him wisdom. And, and Solomon even fulfills David's vision and David's instructions to build the temple of God. And so right after Solomon builds the temple of God, things begin to go off the rails in a really big way. And you, what you see is you see Solomon begin to marry and sleep with all of these different women from all these different nations, and he does it for political reasons. And, and, and it gets even worse than that because what Solomon does is he actually takes the gods of these women and he brings them into the practices of the nation of Israel. And God's covenant to Israel is really simple, like worship the Lord your God. Remember that? And so Solomon begins to bring all these other gods into play. And he implements slave labor for his building projects. He begins to do all of these things. And at the end of Solomon's reign, when you go back and you look at Deuteronomy 17, where God gives the actual like, hey, here's the qualifications to be king. Solomon doesn't line up with any of them. And it's tragic. What started off this, this, this God-honoring man ends up to where Solomon actually looks more like the Pharaoh of Egypt than he actually does his own father, David. It's pretty tragic. And it actually just begins to get worse and worse and worse through the Kings. And the author of Kings begins to talk about all of the history that happens. And eventually um, the nation of Israel gets split into two different sections. You've got Northern Israel and you've got Southern Israel, which is now called Judah. And they begin to war with each other. They begin to conflict with each other. And then the, the, the author of Kings begins to compare and go through the whole story of king after king after king after king. And he compares if the kings were successful based on three different criteria. See, we're going deep today. Got some history today. It's going to be so good. On three different criteria. And it was really, really simple criteria. Number one, did they worship the God of Israel alone? Did they deal with the, with the idolatry from the people? Did they deal with that? Did they confront that sin? And then did, did they remain faithful to the covenant of God like David was faithful to the covenant of God, which are the instructions of God? And according to this criteria, the author finds that out of the northern section of Israel, zero out of 20 met that criteria. And out of the southern part, only about eight out of 20 kings met that criteria. 
And so you can see where like God had all these big hopes and desires and dreams for the future of Israel and what God wanted to do. God called them to be, to be the light to all of the other nations. And you see where it starts. And this is where we are. Eight out of about 40 kings in this area actually honored God. So th things are bad, right? Things are just messy. They started out really good and then they're messy. And, and isn't our life so often that way, right? Like sometimes our life starts out, we're amazing. We've got these plans. We've got these hopes. We have these futures. We have these dreams. And then life happens. And before you know it, we're in situations that don't look anywhere close to the hopes, dreams, and desires of your life and of my life. And that's right in the middle of this. And this actually sets up our story today because Kings introduces us to the role of the prophets. And that's where we're going to look at today. We're talking about the prince of the prophets and, and Elisha and Elijah. And this really sets up because out of the northern part of Israel, these two really prominent prophets rise up. You have Elijah and you have Elisha, who is a disciple of Elijah. And when you study the prophets and kings, you realize these guys aren't just like, they're not like fortune tellers. They're not just like, you know, hey, let's just rub some, rub some rocks together and figure out what's going on. They actually become the spokesmen of the Lord God. So they are the mouthpieces of God to the nation of Israel and specifically to the kings of Israel. And so they become the watchdogs, if you will. They become God's way of accountability for the kings and for the people. And they were there to call out the idolatry and the injustices among the people and the kings. And they were constantly reminding Israel of their calling to be the light on the hill to many nations. Like he keep reminding them, hey, God's called us to do this. What are you doing? So that's the role of the prophets, and that's the, scenario, that's the scenario, that's the scene, that's the setting in which all of this takes place. And so God raised up prophets to hold these kings accountable and the leadership and their actions. And there were these two really prominent prophets like we talked about. Remember Elijah and then Elisha, who was a disciple of Elijah. Now, Elijah was a really wild man, lived in the wilderness, lived in the forest, lived in the desert. And he has some amazing stories in Kings. Go check them out there. They're pretty incredible. And then he had a disciple named Elisha. And that's really where I want us to spend our time today. It's talking about Elisha and his story. Because eventually, eventually, Elijah passes down the mantle of prophet to Elisha. And Elisha respected and honored Elijah so much. And he asked God this really big, audacious prayer. He asked God, he said, God, give me twice the authority that Elijah had. He says, God, give me two times the authority, the influence, the miracles that Elisha had. He was foolish enough to ask God, right? And here's what's amazing. It's fascinating. Fascinating. Because when the author records these stories, he records about seven instances of, of miraculous moments in Elijah's life. I mean, there are moments when he's literally going toe-to-toe -to -toe with like the gods of Baal, and, and it's pretty amazing. Go check that story out. 
where he, where he literally calls fire down from heaven to show off and embarrass these other fake gods. And the, and, and the author gives about seven stories, seven instances of these moments for Elijah. But when it records Elisha's story, the author gives 14 <laughs> stories of, mirac- of miracles and just moments that just blow your mind. Moments that only God can show up. And so Elisha was foolish enough to ask for twice, and then we literally see twice as many stories come. It's pretty, pretty incredible. But both prophets were remarkable men. Both prophets lived remarkable lives. I mean, they saw miracles pretty much on the daily. But ultimately, and this is the tragedy of life, this is the tragedy in this story. Ultimately, both of these prophets were unsuccessful to get the nations of Israel, the nation of Israel, to turn back and to honor God. And eventually God allows these people called the Babylonians to come in and to take over because God looked at them and gave them chance after chance after chance, opportunity after opportunity, opportunity. And it eventually gets to the point where God says, I just, I can't, I can't do anything else. And God allows these Babylonians to come in. And you see this time called the Babylonian exile. But even at the end of that, there's some hope. And we'll we'll get into that in a minute. But I really just want to focus on Elisha's story for just a few minutes. Because this is where our story really, really picks up. And this is where your story picks up. This is where we find so much of, of our life in these moments. And specifically, this is towards the end of Elisha's life. This is at the very tail end. And Elisha lived a crazy, remarkable life. Elisha did so many things. And, and some of the crazy, crazy things that Elisha did in his life, there's stories of Elisha stopping a widow and her child from starving during a famine. It's a pretty incre- incredible story. There's a story of Elisha saving a town from being poisoned by a river that was polluted. And Elisha even raised a young boy from the dead. It's pretty, pretty crazy. But in every scenario, what you see is you see Elisha have this reflection of the heart of God. And Elisha had this tendency to see things not for how they were in the moment, but for how they could be. And so what seemed that was, was, was things that seemed dead, to everybody else, did not seem dead to Elisha. He had a special way of seeing the potential in things that were seemingly dead. And so we really shouldn't be surprised when we get to the end of Elisha's life and things aren't the way they seem. Because this is what's amazing. And if you've got your Bible with you, check it out on the YouVersion app. Or you can just, if you've got your real like thick, thick Bible, thick boy Bible, like you can get that out. Verses are going to be on the screen too. But this is from... 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 20. I'm reading out of the, the New Living Translation today. And, and it's pretty short verse and pretty remarkable. Verse 20, check this out. Then Elisha died and was buried. That's, the, that's it. Then Elisha died and was buried. 
Now you read that and you're like, that's pretty anticlimactic. You're like, man, this is someone who raised people from the dead. This is someone who, man, saved people from, 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 from dying, saved towns from being poisoned. Like this is someone who did all these amazing, 14, like twice as much, right? This is someone who did so much. Wouldn't there be this great fanfare for his death? Wouldn't you think like, the, like where's the widow and her son at this moment? Like, wouldn't they come back and be like, man, hey, we're just gonna send you off. But there's none of that. It just says, then Elisha died and was buried. I mean, after everything great Elisha did in his life, this is it. He just died. He's just buried. I mean, it's pretty remarkable here. And it's a pretty disappointing way to go. It's pretty anticlimactic, right? But that's not all. So turn to your neighbor this morning. Let's wake up and say, that's not all. That's not all. All right, turn to your other neighbor. Get a little bit louder and say, that's not all. Because check this out, verse 21. Let's check this out. Let's start from verse 20, then we'll go through 21. 2 Kings chapter 13 again. Because it's not all. Because like what seemed like it was just dead, what seemed like it was just ordinary, what seemed like it was just standard is not that way. And that's how often it is with God. The same way that Elisha was able to look at things and that seemed dead, seemed out of, the, out, of, out of the way, seemed way just ordinary, Elisha saw the potential for the miraculous in it. And his death is no different. Because check this out, verse 20. Then Elisha died and was buried. But groups of Moabite raiders used to invade the land each spring. Verse 21, and once when some Israelites were burying a man, they spied a band of these raiders. So they hastily threw the corpse into the tomb of Elisha and they fled. This is crazy. But as soon as the body touched Elisha's bones, the dead man revived and he jumped to his feet. So where we see something that's dead, God sees something that needs to come alive. And that's where I want to get to today. That's where I want to land this plane. That's where I want you to walk out today, knowing and believing that in this moment in Elisha's life is not, it feels really like, right? It's not unique to Elisha. This is God's MO. From the beginning, he has found things. He has done things in moments and in lives where there seems no hope, where there seems no future, where there seems nothing but death, God brings life out of it. And there are things in your life now that seem that way. Maybe you're here and you've got hopes and you've got dreams and, and it seems like those things are dead. You had dreams of, of being a mom. You had dreams of being a dad. And you're like, it's just not happening, so I'm just gonna go ahead and move on. I'm just going to go ahead and focus on everything else or I have this dream to, 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 to work here or do this thing and it just, I'm not seeing any traction. It just seems like a grave and God sees something that needs to come alive. And so in Elisha's life and in his death, in his final moments, he brings life out of something that seemed death and that seemed dead. And the problem is not that these things happen because they happen. You have moments in your life where all seems lost. You have moments in your life, hopes, dreams, like desires that you just don't see come to pass in the timing. And, it, and the problem is not that these things happen because you cannot avoid that. That is life. But the problem is where you and I tend to turn in these moments because we tend to turn to things 
that don't bring dead things to life. What I mean by that, let me be clear. A lot of times, we will turn to things that help things stay dead instead of turning to someone who can bring it to life. And so we will turn to alcohol, we'll turn to sex, we'll turn to more work, I'll just work more. I'm just my rebound phase. I'm just, I'm hurt, you know, and, 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 and we turn to these things that don't bring things to life. We turn to things typically that keep things dead. And the problem is then we get surprised and we act hurt and shocked that, that they're still dead. We act hurt and shocked and surprised. I don't know why getting drunk every night hasn't helped. It's crazy. I don't know why sleeping with every single person I meet at the bar has not brought me my soulmate. I, it doesn't make sense. And God is seeing the grave in your life and God sees more than a grave. He sees a garden. God sees you where you are and he does have a hope. He has a plan and he has a future for your life. And none of those things, none typically, not every time, but typically, and you have stories you could share. I have stories I could share where instead of turning to God, we turn to these other things, but these other things do not have a track record of happiness. They have a track record of hurt. They have a track record of hopelessness. They have a track record of death and distraction. And God is the only one with a track record for bringing dead things to life. Just because something died in your life does not mean that God is done. Just because you have a dream that you believe has died does not mean that God is done. I have friends who wanted a baby so bad. Doctor after doctor, clinic after clinic said, nope, ain't gonna happen. Just wasting your money. Don't, you know. Hey, have you thought about adoption? And, we, and adoption is amazing. I'm not taking anything away from that. It's incredible. but they stayed true to the belief and the dream that they had. They just had a baby a few months ago. What seemed like a dream that was dead in their life, God saw an opportunity to bring it to life. And when the dead man fell on Elisha's bones, it wasn't over. The same way when Ezekiel found himself in the valley of dry bones, it wasn't over. The same way when Jesus hung on the cross, he's buried in the tomb like it wasn't over. When the enemy wants you to think it's over. But through these stories, God is showing all of us that none of these places were graves. All of these places were gardens. And all of these places were places God wanted to bring life out of something that seemingly seemed dead, God saw life breaking through. There were never graves. There were gardens in your life. So even if you've ran from God in the complete opposite direction, 
Even if you're here and you're like, I've just stiff-armed God, and I'm in Tyler, if you knew my story, Tyler, if you knew what I've done this week, I want to tell you something. God has a really particular MO, and it's bringing dead things to life. It's what he's done from the beginning, and it's what he still does today. So if you're here and you're like, I just, I, that sounds great. Let's, let's, man, let's give that message to the students, like give them hope for their future. But for me, I'm 45 and I just, that's not me, Tyler. Let me just tell you something today. There's still hope for you. God still has a plan for you. God still has a future. God still has a purpose for your life. And all it takes is for you to walk with him. All it takes is for you to turn to him and to see the garden in the grave. You see the Israelite kings, right? We talked about them earlier. This is where we'll end today. The Israelite kings. So remember northern Israel, zero for 20. Got it right. Southern Israel, only eight out of 20. So eight out of 40 kings actually got this right. Honored God, like addressed sin, kept to the covenant. And so eventually God gets to the point where he allows the Babylonians to come in and to take over. And it seems hopeless. It seems like, oh, God has forgotten us. God is lost. God is, God, and God allowed that stuff to happen based on their choices. Right. It's not as if God was just like, man, forget that. You see 40 kings where God tried to work them back. Chance after chance, king after king. And God offers the reader hope in the story. When you read second, when you read first and second Kings, at the end you see just man, these kings take what was this prominent nation of Israel and they just into the ground. At the very end, the Babylonians take over. But even in this what seemed hopelessness, even in this what seemed like a sure grave of a nation of lives. God still offers the readers hope. Because check this out. If you go all the way to the end, 2 Kings chapter 25, this is hope for Israel's line. Check this out, verse 27. In the 37th year of the exile of King Jehoiachin of Judah, evil Merodach ascended to the Babylonian throne. He was kind, Jehoiachin, and released him from prison on April 2nd of that year. He spoke kindly to him, and he gave him a higher place than all the other exiled kings in Babylon. He supplied him with new clothes to replace his prison garb, and he allowed him to dine in the king's presence for the rest of his life. Verse 30, so the king gave him a regular food allowance as long as he lived. What does that mean? Here's someone that came out of the line of those kings that got it wrong, got it wrong, got it wrong. And even the Babylonians showed him kindness. Even in the grave, you see, guard, you see flowers pushing up. Even in the grave of this nation, you see hope rising. And that is the hope that God has for you today. It is God's kindness that leads you and I to repentance. 
What is repentance? It's turning back to God. It is God's kindness that brings us there. It's not his, oh, you should have, and man, if you just would have read more, if you would have prayed more, if you just would have done this more. It's not shame that leads us to repentance. It's God's kindness that leads you and I to repentance. Let me ask you, what in your life are you standing in the middle of that looks like a grave? but God sees a garden. What dream have you let die? What dream, what hope, what desire have you just already wrote the tombstone on and moved on? And God is saying, I still have hope for you. I still have a future for you. I still have a plan and a purpose. You bow your head, everybody. Close your eyes real fast, everybody. All right. If that's you, I want you to look right up here. Everyone else has, but if that's you, if you're like, that's me, I've got hopes, I've got dreams, I want you to look right up here. I see you. I want to pray over you today. Jesus, you see every heart. Father God, you see every ounce of hopelessness. God, there's a lot of graves looking up right now. God, I pray that you do what only you can do, King Jesus, and that is restore hope. That is bring dead things to life. So right now, in the name of Jesus, I declare hope to rise in every heart. Everyone looking up right now. Everybody look right up here. If that's you, do not give up hope. If that was you, do not lose heart. If that was you, believe again, hope again, dream again. With every head bowed right now, every eye closed, if that's you, and uh, I want to give all of us an opportunity right now. If you're here and you've never trusted Jesus to be the Lord and the Savior of your life, all of this stuff is great but it's not the most important thing. And the most important thing is knowing Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. You need a Savior to revive these hopes and dreams. And if you're here and you've never heard the gospel, let me explain it to you really carefully, but I want to be honest with you. It might be a little offensive because it starts with you and I both being responsible for our sins. If you've ever lied, if you've ever cheated, if you've ever stolen anything, if you've ever worshiped anything else other than God, if you've ever put anything else in front of God as like important in your life, all that is sin. And it's one thing to make mistakes, but it's a whole other thing to make mistakes on purpose. And if you've never trusted Jesus to handle that sin, God's word is really, really clear about it because it says that not only are you and I both sinners, but that the payment of that sin, the punishment of that sin, the penalty of that sin is death. But it's actually not the kind of death that you and I talk about all the time. It's, a, it's an eternal death. It's an eternal separation from God when you and I die. 
But because God loved us so much, because he loved you so much, that's not where your story ends. In fact, God loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to be the payment, the penalty, and to take the punishment of that sin. And Jesus did that by living a perfect life and by laying down his perfect life on a cross and shedding his blood for your sin and for my sin. And scripture is clear. He was nailed to a cross. He bled for your sin. And he died. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And there are eyewitness accounts of people that watched him die, watched him be buried, and watched him rise from the grave three days later, just like he says he did. And all you and I have to do is receive that gift. That's it. You don't have to send a check in. You don't have to fill out a card. All you have to do is receive that gift. And to receive that gift, you just have to trust Jesus as the Lord and the Savior of your life and confess him as the Lord and the Savior of your life. And so if that's you, if you've never done that, you've never trusted Jesus as the Lord and Savior, if you've never confessed that you're a sinner and confessed that you, if you've never done that, I want to give you that opportunity to do that today. And I'm going to lead all of us in a prayer because I want all of us to pray this out loud because we're going to support those of you that are going to pray it for the very first time. If you feel God feels so strong right now in this moment, if you feel God tugging on your heart, do not ignore him. Do not just brush this moment aside. Lean in and pray this with me. Say, dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner, that I've made mistakes on purpose. And I believe that you, Jesus, died on the cross, shed your blood, and rose again for my sin and for my life. And I confess that you, Jesus, are Lord and Savior of my life. Come into my life. Come into my heart. Teach me how to live and do life together. Everybody look right up here. Everybody look right up here. Look right up here. Every campus, look right up here. Online, look right up here. If that was you, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, I'm so proud of you. I want to give you an opportunity to respond right now. And in fact, our host teams at every campus have a little blue bag that we'd love to put in your hands that are filled with resources that are going to help you on your journey of following Jesus. You have my word. We will not embarrass you. We will not single you out. You, you do not have to get on the stage and sing anything, I promise. We just want to put a little blue bag in your hands and celebrate that decision because that decision to follow Jesus was the best decision you have ever made or will ever make in your entire life. So when I count to three, just have two seconds of courage and slip your hand up. Let our hosting find you when I count to three. And we're gonna celebrate that decision, right? One, two, three. That's you, keep your hand up. Keep those hands up. We see those hands, let our host team find those hands. Keep them up, guys. Let our host team find those hands. Awesome. Awesome. Let our host teams keep those hands up. Awesome. 
Very cool. If that was you, we're so proud of you. And if you're watching online, we still want to send you um, those resources. And you can text Jesus to 866-513-1270. Again, text Jesus to 866-513-1270. The number's going to be on the screen right there. Probably like right there. So awesome. Well, you guys have an amazing week. We will see you next week. Bring somebody with you. And I'm turning this over to our local campuses right now.